We're reading from John's Gospel, chapter 15. John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and with your joy and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. As always, we need God's help to understand his word as we continue through our series in the Gospel of John. So I'm going to ask God now to help us. Gracious Father, thank you for all of the Bible. Thank you particularly for the Gospel of John. Thank you that we have the immense privilege of hearing you speak to us through it now and ask that we might be attentive, uh, that we might grow in our faith and our love for you and for each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, once upon a time, there was a gardener, and he planted a raspberry vine. He plucked it from out in the wild, and he planted it in his own garden. He tended it, he protected it, he watered it, and he fed it. Uh, and it flourished. It grew and grew and grew. But then, it started to bear some bad fruit. So he cut the branches off, uh, bearing that bad fruit. But then there were more and more bad fruit. So he kept cutting it off, off those branches, more and more branches, until finally he was fed up with only having bad fruit. And so he tore the vine out of the ground and he tossed it away to wither and die. But then something happened. A tender shoot rose out of the ground from the vine that had been pulled out. A seed from one of the fruits had fallen onto the ground and had, had started growing in place of the first vine. Now, unless you live in the Hunter Valley, uh, this scenario, scenario might not be totally uh, within your experience or, or maybe even interest, uh, but it would have been very, very familiar to the ancient Israelites many, many years ago before Jesus because it's a story 
that God told about himself and Israel. All throughout the Old Testament, through his prophets, he spoke about Israel as a vine. Uh, and that as the gardener, he plucked Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and he planted them in the promised land, and they grew large under his protection and his care and his blessing. But then, more and more, Israel turned away from God. They produced bad fruit. They, they went after other gods. Uh, until finally, they were worse than the nations around about them who didn't even know the one true God. And so God booted them out of Israel, and plucked them out, tore them out, out of the promised land, and he tossed them into exile. Firstly, throughout the Assyrian Empire, and then finally throughout the Babylonian Empire uh, at the time. Now, they'd come back to the land in drips and drabs after a little while, but it was nothing like what it was before. And so they languished under the control of this and that superpower for many, many years, until one day, during the reign of the Roman Empire, a promised and anticipated king of the Jews is born in Bethlehem, an Israelite without fault, an Israelite who loved God perfectly. And like a tender shoot, he grew up. He, he showed God was powerfully with him. He did incredible signs and wonders. Unlike Israel, he's the true vine in whom all the hopes of Israel and the world are met. Now, of course, that man is Jesus, who at this point in the story of John is talking to his disciples the night before he's crucified. They don't know that yet, but he's telling them that he's going away for a bit, but that he and his Father and the Holy Spirit, they'll always be with them and in them, as we saw last week, chapter 14. If, as he goes on to say in the passage that we're looking at today, if he goes on to say they remain in his love and bear fruit, which is what we're looking a little bit closer at this morning. Firstly, uh, that those who are in Christ bear fruit. And secondly, that the fruit of is faith and love. So that's what we look at. Firstly, those who are in Christ bear fruit. And to get to this, Jesus draws on this idea, this idea that's been around in ancient Israel for ages of God's vine. And he says, verse 1, I am the true vine. Where Israel failed, Jesus is the true vine. He kept God's law perfectly. He's the true Israelite, the one who loved God perfectly, did exactly what the Father wanted. Not just God's law, the the Ten Commandments and all that, uh, but going to suffer and die on a cross for God's people, as his Father wanted him to. Jesus is the true vine. And all who are in him are now God's people. They're part of the true vine. And God the Father will take away all those who aren't. In the vine. Verse 1 again, he says, And my father, the gardener, who cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The father will prune those who are in Jesus so that they bear more fruit, uh, more Jesus fruit. You know, the disciples were in the vine of Jesus. They were the clean branches, uh, so to speak, because of the word that Jesus had spoken to them and given to them, what he told them of who he was and what that he'd come to do. But they were still to remain in Jesus. As Jesus says from verse 4, that's verse 3, but verse (laughs) 4, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Uh, Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. To bear fruit, we need to remain in Jesus and he in us by his word. Uh, The Father prunes us so that we bear more fruit. He cuts off things that get in the way of remaining in Jesus' word. So if you're feeling the need to cut things off in your life that get in the way of staying strong in your faith in Jesus, you can bet that that's the Father prompting you. And it's not just for the sake of taking things away. It's clear so that we bear more fruit. Often Christianity is characterised as a killjoy, you know, that it's just all about don't do this, don't do that, don't touch this, don't look at that, don't spend your money on or time on this or that. But that's actually an amiss point. The Father wants to take out other stuff in our lives, not just for the sake of it, but so that we might bear better and more fruit. Over the break that uh, we just recently had, uh, I did some gardening. I know, shock horror for those of you who know how much I love the outdoors as much as you know, lemon juice on a paper cup. But that's not actually true. I do love the beach. I, uh, that's outdoors, but, but it's clean, right? And it's fresh and it's fun and pleasant. The garden, not so much. It's dirty. It's full of mosquitoes and ticks and other things. Anyway, I gardened, right? I gardened. I weeded out uh, our front garden. It needed it. It was a mess and ugly. And then I planted some star jasmine plants in the space where the weeds were so that they might grow and take over that place so that I would never have to weed again. It was a big job. It took me hours. Uh, But since then, I've actually noticed that my interest in the front garden has increased. I've I've got in there, actually. Uh, Sneaky little weed session. I just take out a few little weeds uh, that have grown up since then which hardly took any time at all. And I've been thinking, well, what if I just did that little bit of regular weeding? I might not hate this whole garden thing as much as I did. It'd be a whole lot easier. Look at that. It looks pretty. Maybe this is a little bit like the Father pruning us. In Jesus, we're already his garden in Jesus. Nothing's going to change that. We will always be something he loves to be in and to look at. Uh, And this regular pruning of bad attitudes and bad behaviour that that weigh us down, of doing some weeding, uh, it's not going to, it's not to kill us and make our lives miserable, but to help us to be the beautiful thing that he sees us to be in Christ. To help us to be what we are in Christ. To help us bear fruit. Elsewhere in the Bible we're told that uh, the Israelites... Uh, in their failure to be the vine, they're actually an example for us not to follow. Uh, and a key way that they didn't remain in God and his word was through idolatry, following after other gods. So it's worth checking then, if we're to take them as uh, a counterexample, an example of not, what not to do, checking maybe the idols that we have in our life, the idols that we need the Father to pluck out, take away. How do we find those out? Well, what would you get incredibly frustrated and angry about if it was taken away in your life? How about your phone or your device, social media and entertainment? Are they idols? Are they the first thing that you turn to in the morning to feel good about yourself or to feel like you're connected? 
Could they be an idol in your life? A thing that crams out time spent with God. Time spent getting across and thinking about and meditating and taking on Jesus' words. Do you find yourself thinking often, if it comes to spending time with Jesus and spending time in the Bible, I'm too busy to pray or to do that, to spend time in God's Word because I just spent the last 20 minutes on my phone now I don't have time before I need to get ready to go to work or to school or to wherever. Is that something that's happening? Or maybe it's our money. You know, that's the, the, the first thing you think about when you, you pray, uh, when your pay comes in, is what luxury item you're going to spend it on, what, what you want to buy, and, or you bemoan the fact that you can't because you don't have enough money and you envy those you can because they've got more money, or rich families. Is that our idol? Or maybe it's our families. As parents, what are we modelling to our kids in this? Are we prepared to prioritise our kids' faith over other things? Uh, Over their sport? Over their extracurricular education? Work opportunities? So that they see those things that strengthen their faith in Jesus, like prayer and church and Bible study and youth and kids' church, are a priority, at least for us. Because... We want them to remain in Jesus and his word in them. Yeah, what is it? What is it that the Father may be looking to take from your life? That love for tech or money or family or whatever the idol might be so that you might remain in Jesus. Not to make our, our lives worse, but so that we might actually think about Jesus as someone to thoughtfully consult and talk to each day and be with every day. Let's not resist that urge to stop certain things that we know are getting in the way of us, our kids, remaining in Jesus and bearing more fruit. Because after a while, the Father's patience is going to run out. As Jesus says in verse 6, If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If we don't let Jesus' words be a regular part of our lives, we'll feel God's pull to put to death sinful habits and attitudes, we'll feel that pull less and less, and our interest in Jesus will wither, and we'll hear uh, his pruning, (laughs) of his pruning, uh, to cut things off in our life that are not good for us, rather than as a loving act, as offensive. How dare you challenge me to give up these things in my life and the lives of my children? Or we'll think it's irrelevant. You know, what we've just heard Jesus say to us here, it'll just have no impact whatsoever. And sadly, at the end of the age, we'll be gathered up with all the other dead sticks and be thrown in the fire. Please, let's not be found, let's not find ourselves there. Remain in Jesus. Let the Father prune those things out of you that are stopping you from bearing fruit. Pray that he would. As Jesus encourages in verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now this isn't a, a free pass to expect that whatever we ask God for, he'll give us. It's, it's conditioned on being in Jesus and his words in us. Of knowing him, of knowing what he wants and what he's on about and then asking for that. To ask that we remain in Jesus then, it's to trust in Jesus' words here And so it's to demonstrate that his words are actually in us. As such, we can expect this will be done for us. We will remain. And the Father 
will prune us. I wonder, are we brave enough to pray that prayer? Because the Father will answer it. He will answer that prayer to his glory. As Jesus says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The Father is glorified as we trust in Jesus and demonstrate that trust in at least prayer, praying that Jesus' words remain in us, praying that the Father prune us so that we bear more fruit. And in so doing, not only showing ourselves to be Jesus' disciples, but glorifying the Father. A while ago I was at someone's house and they had a tether ball uh, out the back and I thought I'd have a go. So I hit the ball really hard. Uh, it was a really good hook, uh, hit. Uh, it was maybe too good uh, because it came around fast and hit me back in the head. Um, <laughs> thankfully nobody was looking. But a little bit like this, we're actually the ball and, and the player is Jesus. It's him who gives his word and moves us, moves us to trust in him so that we swing back around to him in trust. Not to hit him in the head, uh, he's a better player than me, but actually to ask that he moves us to trust in him more and to bear more fruit. Those in Christ will bear fruit, at least in prayer, because that's who they are. They're fruit bearers. What they pray for, more fruit, and how we know they're Jesus' disciples by their fruit. Those in Christ bear fruit. So what's the fruit that will bear in Christ? Well, simply put, it's the fruit of love and faith, which is our second point. Faith, which we've already touched on a little bit uh, with Jesus calling us to pray, and love, as Jesus goes on to say in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Incredibly, the analogy that Jesus uses to compare his love for his disciples, for us, uh, is to the love that the Father has for the Son. You remember last week we looked at the Trinity? Now the Bible teaches that there is one God and three persons, who is three persons, not three gods, one unique God, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, where the Father is entirely and utterly God, where the Son is entirely and utterly God, the Holy Spirit is entirely and utterly God, but the Father is not the Son or the Spirit, the Son is not the Father or the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father or the Son. One God, three persons. And that God the Son came as the man, Jesus Christ, to make God known to us. And Jesus is saying that the love that, the God, that God the Father has for God the Son, the love that has never not been, that stretches beyond time and space, before the universe came into being, a, an eternal and unlimited love, the love that love is the only love that Jesus says comes close to the love that he has for his disciples, for you and me. As this kind of level of lover then, Jesus calls his disciples to remain in his love. You know, if his disciples fully appreciate the love Jesus has for them, his call to remain in his love, it'll, it'll be one that they'll happily respond to, right? It'll be our, our joy, 
like responding to someone who's won our heart over. We'll happily sacrifice other things in our life to be with them. And in that joy, we'll want what Jesus wants. We'll want to keep his commands, as he tells us, as an expression of our love for him. But what are his commands? Well, in chapter 14, last week, we saw uh, the first is to believe in him, to trust him, to trust he's from the Father, trust that he's the way to the Father, that he's the way to knowing God's forgiveness and to intimately know God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit with us and in us, never to leave us. And to express that firstly, that trust firstly in prayer. And then second, second thing that he commands is to love each other. As he's already said, and he repeats again here, must be important. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Sacrificial love, the love that Jesus is about to do, lay down his life for his friends, is the kind of love Jesus wants his disciples to be loving each other with. Love that costs our life for the good of others. Parents sure experience this kind of love quite frequently as they give up their time, their energy, their money, their patience for the good of their kids. But it's not always fun. In fact, a lot of the time it can be thankless and difficult. But this is the kind of love Jesus is looking for. Not lip service, but in action and in truth. Years ago in another church, I knew someone who paid for the cost of some elective surgery for someone else in that church family who really needed it. It wasn't cheap, and it wasn't easy, but they did it anyway. Why? Well, because they treasured Jesus' love for them, and his, love, and his word to love others was in them and precious to them. They didn't do it because it felt good. I'm not sure the other person even ever found out who paid for it. They did it because they loved Jesus as he loved them. And loves them, as Jesus goes on to say, because he's not just some harsh taskmaster handing down commands from on high like the mythical gods of uh, Greek gods who are capricious, who task people with things to do just to keep them busy or out of the way or as punishment. Not Jesus. He calls his disciples to obey his commands as the happy way to respond to his love for them, his eternal and limitless and intimate love for them as his friends. Verse 14, he goes, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because the servant doesn't know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Friendship, it's got to do with intimacy and trust, right? About knowing certain stuff about each other. You know, intimate and personal stuff. And not backing off when you know it. Uh, My closest mate, He knows stuff about me that no one else does. Stuff that would be a deal breaker with anyone else. But because I've shared it with him and he's stuck around and he shared stuff with me, we'd say that we know each other quite well, that we're close friends. And Jesus says it's like that with us. He knows us. He knows us, of course, inside and out. Which is alarming. You should think about it. There's a story of a Scottish preacher, Robert Murray McCain, who was congratulated by a churchgoer once for his saintliness. And you know what his response was? Madam, if you could see in my heart, you would spit in my face. The fact is, Jesus can see in our heart. And yet on that cross, 
he let others spit on his face for us instead. And more than that, he's made God known to us and what he's on about. He knows the depths of our grubby hearts and he's led us into the depths of his own heart to know God, Father, Son and Spirit. We are his friends more than anyone else can be and it's out of that, out of a deep love and friendship that he calls us to bear the fruit of faith and love. As he says in verse 17, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Again, we see the first fruit of faith is prayer. It's prayer in Jesus' name. That is to ask God for things that Jesus wants, that he's promised to us, that are consistent with what he's on about and what he's like. And so to remain in Jesus... And to bear fruit that will ask, it's to last, sorry, is to ask the Father that we remain in Jesus. That he prunes stuff out of our lives so that we trust in Jesus more and more. And that we love each other. Fruit that will last is faith expressing itself in love. And so to pray that the Father grant that we love each other is a prayer that he's going to answer. Because that is the fruit of those who are in Christ. Those who are known by him and loved by him and who know him and his father, who are his friends. But are we brave enough to be Jesus' friends, to love like him, to lay down our lives for each other as Jesus' disciples? Because that's what we, that will do, what we want to do. As we ask the father to help us love each other, he'll give us what we want. But do you want it? Do we want that? To love our church family at cost to ourselves? At cost to the time we spend on other things? At cost to the money we spend on other things? At cost to the affection we direct on other things and other people? At cost to the sleep that we sacrifice to whatever idol we might have? Does Jesus' love for us and our friendship with him make us eager to bear fruit for him? And at least to pray for greater faith and greater love for Jesus and for each other? I hope so. I'm generally on the lookout for uh, cool t-shirts. And I stumble onto this Christian guy called Cool Carl a while ago. He deals in all things Gen Z and Christian, and he has some pretty cool merchandise, including this T-shirt, which has got to be based on Jesus' words here in John 15. Uh, If you can't see it, it's a bear coming out of a banana, and it says, Bear Fruit. I love it. I couldn't actually get it because they don't ship it to Australia. But, you know, whatever. It's a brilliant play on words for those of us in Christ, because those in Christ will bear fruit. But I reckon it needs two extra pictures on the back. Faith fruit and love fruit. So that front and back, we know that those in Christ will bear faith and love fruit. And I'm going to pray to that end now. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for 
the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his words, that we have them before us, that you have made them available for us, that by your spirit we trust in him and his words are in us. As a result, help us reckon with how vast your love for us is in Jesus. To realise that as those in Christ, we are to bear fruit and that that fruit would be faith and love as we respond to our Lord and Saviour happily, sacrificing ourselves for the good of those around us, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ. Please prune us. No matter how uncomfortable that might be, cut those things off in our lives that are getting in the way of trusting the Lord Jesus more and loving those in your family more and more. Help us to bear fruit. The fruit of faith and love. In Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.